The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code ROSS. That's code ROSS for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net in New York. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. If you'd like to make your NFL games a little more interesting, you've come to the right place. It's the Even Money Podcast with Ross Tucker and Steve Fezzik. Yeah, Vegas, baby, Vegas. It is the Even Money Podcast. And of course, we are presented by betonline.ag, your online sports book experts. Just use that lovely promo code, podcast1, to get a 50% sign-up bonus today. He is the superstar of the show, Steve Fezzik, the only two-time winner of the Super Bowl of Professional Football Gambling, the Super Contest at the Westgate Casino out there in Vegas. He is the pro gambler, pro handicapper extraordinaire. I am the former NFL offensive lineman, five teams, seven years it actually makes sense. Five teams, Redskins, Cowboys, Bills, Patriots, Browns, and now I think I have five podcasts that I am on. Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast Podcast, Even Money Podcast, College Draft Podcast. I'm not on the Business of Sports Podcast, but that's a good one as well, Andrew Brandt. And then the new ones we've added recently, Hazard Ground Podcast, which is just incredible stories of combat veterans that I love listening to. Kind of something different for me to listen to. You know, just these incredible stories of people that sacrificed the way they did. And then we just added the College Football Bros Podcast, which is awesome as well. Absolutely awesome. Speaking of awesome, by the way, Steve, we got tremendous feedback by the people that took advantage of the opportunity to go to myfrontpagestory.com, like Shefty Adam Schefter, and get the best Mother's Day gift ever. So if you want to get the best Father's Day gift ever, or you want to get the best graduation gift ever, now's the time, myfrontpagestory.com. All right, so Steve, I want to start with something a little bit different today. You know, people probably noticed that last week's episode had been recorded the week prior because I was, you know, if you listen to the Ross Tucker football podcast, you know that I was on a cruise last week with my family and really no ability to record a podcast. So we had done uh, last week's episode 
the week before. We had done a couple different parts with Dave Mason. So what that means, Steve, is we didn't really talk about the fallout from the Kentucky Derby, which is just unbelievable. And I know you're not a big horse racing guy because of the way that that horse race uh, horse racing betting is done, uh, and I get that. But we still need to just talk about it. And I'm sure you have some other war stories or stories of your own from over the years with maybe adjustments made or rulings after the fact. I mean, Steve, how about, first of all, let's just start with this, okay? Let's just start with the ruling itself and your thoughts on it. I know you're not big into it, but I'm also, because of the paramutual, but I also know that, you know, you had to have followed along with what happened. What did you think about their ruling? I mean, I'm not a horse expert, but it seemed like it was the right rule. It was the right ruling, and it was refreshing in a lot of ways because how often do we say, hey, call things the way you would call it regardless of the circumstances? So um, I guess old school talks about, wow, you know, you shouldn't make this, you shouldn't call that holding call on the final play of the Super Bowl, even though it's holding throughout the game, unless it directly impacts the play. And I disagree with that. A penalty is a penalty. And if you're going to call it in the first quarter, you should call it on the last play of the game. And the same is true in the NBA. If, if it's a foul, you call it a foul. And everyone I spoke to said, you know, during any normal horse race, if a horse went ahead and diverted um, like what happened in the Kentucky Derby, that course, horse would get disqualified. And so I believe that they got it right, and I think it's good for the integrity of the sport. What did you think about how long it took? Well, therein is the problem because they took 22 minutes and clearly you've got to be in when the race is only two minutes long. It just simply should not take that long. And I'd make the case of, you know what, if it's that, if it's the correct call and it's clear, it should be clear within five or six minutes. Now, I will say this, and I'm not really privy to exactly how they re-ranked the horses. I guess the disqualified horse didn't wind up being put last, but being put 17th. So maybe there's some work involved in terms of, you know, how far down you lower him for his infraction. So maybe that that's um, a factor associated with that. So I guess my other questions as it relates to it would be, what about the people that ripped up their ticket on the horse that ended up winning and they were 65 to 1? I forget what the name of the horse was that actually won. I know Maximum Security is the one that got DQ'd, but what was the name of the horse that actually won? Do you even remember? <laughs> Isn't that amazing, yeah, country, by the way? Country House, 65 to 1. And, yeah. you know, I know I, I don't bet horses, so I know that. It, when it comes to sports, if you rip up your ticket, all you need to do is go back and say, look, here's when I made my wager. Here's the amount. And here's, um, you know, what I, what I wagered on. And, and it's better if you even can remember which ticket writer you bet it with. But, um, the bottom line is they can go back accounting can find the ticket and you submit what's called a lost ticket, and there's usually a 60-day window, and then they pay you. I am not sure about the procedures when it, in regards to um, lost tickets for um, horse racing. 
So wait a minute. Say that again. They're, they're able to, if the, if you have like your credit card receipt or something? No, just your, you don't have any receipt at all, but you just go up and you say, you know what? On back in August, I bet an NFL future on uh, the Patriots to win the Super Bowl. And I remember I bet $400 at the Treasure Island Sportsbook. Um, and it was sometime in the evening and the payout was so-and-so. And this can be like months and months after. As long as you can remember the details, the day that you placed the wager, the amount you played, and how much you bet, they can go ahead and submit a, what's called a loss ticket, and they send it to accounting, and accounting looks on that date on tickets that haven't been cashed, and more often than not, they can find it. Now, a sportsbook does not need to do this, but almost all sportsbooks do go ahead and um, will we'll do that inquiry for you, and more often than not, you'll be fine and get paid. Why? Just because they want you to keep coming back and be a happy customer and they feel like over time they'll be able to to win out? Yeah, so I think it's just good customer service. And I'm not certain of this, Ross, but I believe that when there's a lost ticket, it goes obviously eventually to the casino revenues, but I'm not so sure it gets allocated to the sports um, uh, book revenues. So it's I believe that it's not a big hit on their earnings. I'm not certain about that, but I do know that they will refund you. Well, they'll pay out your ticket if you go ahead and do this procedure. Wow, that's interesting. Because I'm, I'm just looking at it from the perspective of, of the derby and the horse race, and I just I can't imagine that, and I haven't seen anything, and, and you don't know the procedure. I, I can't imagine, because I don't remember, I've been to the derby once, and I placed some bets, but... I don't remember anything other than, uh, you know, getting the ticket. Like I don't know, I don't know how they would say, yeah, I was one of the, uh, you know, the I was one of the, you know, five hundred people that came to this window or one of these windows, you know, twenty minutes ago and bet five hundred dollars on this horse or a hundred dollars on this horse. I don't, man, I don't know. Maybe we can get somebody else on that that knows the the horse racing procedure but i i i, I got to think those people are out of luck yeah and you got to feel there's a whole bunch of two dollar and five dollar bets that one that don't get cashed and it's almost like hey if you could do this what would prevent you from just going in and submitting a lost ticket you know on on every every time there's a circumstance like this i don't know either do you have any good stories steve i mean you've been doing this when did you first place your first bet and when did you first become like a uh, a professional gambler you'd say um first bet was back i was 21 came out to vegas in uh, 1986 loved vegas i was just betting like 50 dollars on things um then i moved to southern california i got a little more serious about it but i got to be honest 1992 was really when the, the light bulb clicked, and it was clear to me, wow, the sports books really have no idea what they're doing. Um, and that any better that really was making any kind of effort was going to be able to get a big edge against the sports books back in the early 90s. Now, it's changed a lot. It's gotten much more difficult. But back then, um, it was literally as easy, Ross, as I, I was studying for my actuarial exams. I was, I was uh, becoming an actuary. And it was difficult for me not to get to, to, to Vegas because I realized, wow, 
you know, just um, I can't believe some of the um, the bets that they're offering and and accepting from the betters. Wow, and that was like a ninety-two. Give me yes, give me an example. Why, why were they so bad back then? I'm curious now. Um, the, the best example I can give is parlay cards. You could just go out there on a, late on a Friday night. They'd have these pre-printed odds on on parlay cards, and I noticed this almost immediately. And they would basically round up all the odds to the nearest half point, which doesn't sound like a big difference, but like at an NFL, um, when a team was favored by three, the lines would always be plus three and a half on the underdog at almost every place. And some places would even round it up to plus four and a half. And there would be games where the spread would go down to two and a half um, if you went up to the board and you wanted to wager on the underdog, but you could still get plus three and a half, and even in some cases, plus four and a half um, on the parlay cards. So long story short, you could, you could play three-team parlays. You could play 16 parlays at odds that were as good as what the odds were off the board where you got the true odds, and you were getting two extra points on NFL games. You were getting three, four extra points on some college games. So like Northwestern would be playing Illinois. Illinois would have some injuries. The spread would go down from 22 to 18 and a half. And on the parlay card, you could bet Northwestern plus 22 and a half. And no one was doing it, Ross. It was, it was just a mystery to me that um, the betters just seemingly, um, it, it didn't seem like there were any sharp betters back in the early nineties doing this. And I actually was part of a team and for like a, a really throughout the the mid to late 1990s that's all we did is for the most part is bet on parlay cards because it was so much more profitable than any other way to wager wow that's awesome man that is really awesome all right so the reason why i asked you that though is because i'm curious do you have any good stories or any examples um of something similar to the kentucky derby where you know, something was changed after the fact that materially impacted one of your bets and or maybe even threw away your ticket. I know horse racing might be a little bit different, but do you have any examples of anything like that where something happened after the buzzer, after the whatever, so to speak, which affected your bet? I think the best example I can remember, and it's foggy, it's so long ago, but I believe it was New England was playing Buffalo, and New England was a three-point favorite. And New England was outplayed the entire game, and then at the very end of the game, New England was down four and driving. So if you got Buffalo, um, you're saying to yourself, all right, I'm, I'm home free here if I got the plus three and a half. And on the very last play of the game, New England scores to win by two. And the teams go ahead and and Buffalo leaves the field in disgust. They got jobbed by the refs and the like. New England's sticking around because they're smart and they know that by rule, you need to go ahead and um, kick the extra point. So the, the New England team is on the field. Buffalo's not coming back out. And by rule, they're supposed to go ahead and run the play. They're in field goal formation. I don't know if you remember this game. Chime in, Ross, if you do. And New England snaps the ball, and the holder just goes ahead and, and flips the ball to the kicker, who's running out of bounds, just jogging off the field. He literally makes a left-hand turn right before going out of bounds and goes into the end zone for the two-point conversion. New England wins by four. All the Buffalo betters lose. What? And the Bills weren't out there? 
the 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 Bills. I think it was the Bills. I'm not 100 percent sure, but I can tell you it was New England, and their opponent was not on the field. Why why was the guy just going to run out of bounds? Well, they didn't know what to do. They'd won the game already. So they're like just kind of mulling around trying to figure out what to do. Wow. What um what did I'll you have to query end that? I'll have to find that one out. If if, if the listeners out there, if anyone remembers this game, let us know. Do you know who you bet in the game? Yeah, I had, I had some plus three and a half on the underdog. I still remember it. Oh my gosh, that's and you know what, Steve? That's you know this was the first year, wasn't it, where they changed the rule where you no longer have to do the point after in those situations. Yes, and with good reason for just cases like I just described. Now, but I think we had talked about it when they instituted that rule. That wasn't enough, though, to impact how you would feel about underdogs in games or totals or anything like that. That that you know, that's not enough to move the needle. It's it's not enough to move the needle, but of course, it does create the the one in a thousand games where there's that crazy outcome. Yes. Wow. That's amazing. That's a great story. I didn't know that. I, I never heard of that. So that it's got to be before my time, maybe in the 90s. I was with Buffalo in 03 and 04. I was with New England in 05. I would have heard of it if it was since then. So must have been 90s. I think it was in the 90s. Wow, that's incredible. All right, cool. Well, we had to talk about the Kentucky Derby since we didn't dive into it last week. Um, that was amazing. You know, tonight starts the NBA Conference Finals. And it's interesting, Steve, because there's really only one, I guess, marquee team in, in the Golden State Warriors. And you've got Toronto and Milwaukee and, and Portland. And uh, by the way, speaking of crazy endings, how about the Kawhi Leonard shot against the Sixers that hit the rim four times? Steve, I'm a Sixers fan. That hurt bad. It defied the laws of physics that I know there was a snapshot at one point, the ball is not even over the rim after the first bounce. And somehow it spins back over, hits the rim again and winds up going in. Um, I think that um, 76ers, you know, there's a debate going on about, do you build around Embiid or um, do you move on from Embiid and trade him? Embiid in the final two games in game six and seven was a plus 50 in plus minus. So when he was on the court, the 76ers outscored Toronto by 50 points. Without him, they were minus 41 points. Uh, that's a pretty uh, telling stat that Philly, for all of the accolades that that starting lineup, that great starting lineup has, best in the East, and beat is the superstar. As long as he's healthy, as long as he doesn't have the whooping cough or the chicken pox or some other malady, and his knees are holding up and his feet don't break, you got to go with Embiid if you're Philly, and he's your horse. You got to ride. Yeah, or a stomach ache. He even had like a stomach ache that he caused him to miss a game. I think. Um, don't even get me started. All right. So, and for the Warriors, Kevin Durant's status is up in the air. So I guess that's my first question to you, Steve. Is that 
Um, how much of an impact does that have, or do you still think the Warriors are clearly the favorite even without him? Which would be crazy, by the way. Yeah, they would not be the favorite without him. So um, Milwaukee would be clearly perceived to be the better team without him. I will say this, that Vegas has been moving point spreads three and a half points when Durant is not playing. And that's too much of an adjustment. And the reason being, as good as Durant is, and he's arguably the best player in the NBA, he's just not that important for Golden State. And the reason is, is that Durant and Curry... For whatever reason, Curry plays better when Durant isn't playing. And so he can take the role of the alpha dog and take control of the game when Durant is off the court. And the spacing for the offense of Golden State just seems to improve when the other players when Durant is not playing. And because of that, the last three years, um, really four years now, with Durant, Golden State has won 75% of their games. Without Durant, Golden State has won 75% of their games. So um, they haven't missed a beat without him. So um, their bench is woefully weak. I know Livingston and Looney played well, their bench, in uh, Game 6 against Houston. We'll see if that continues. Um, Kind of refreshing in some ways. In the NBA Final Four, we've got three what I would call smaller markets. I know Toronto's not a smaller market, but non-traditional market teams in Portland, Milwaukee, and Toronto here in the Final Four. You know what's unbelievable, Steve? And I want to get your thoughts on this because I tweeted this after the Raptors beat the Sixers. You know, the Raptors had the best player in the series in Kawhi Leonard. And then I would say the next best player was Embiid. The next best player is probably Ben Simmons or Jimmy Butler. And then the next one's either the other one. Uh, after that, you could maybe say it's Kyle Lowry um, or Tobias Harris or whatever. But my point is, is the Sixers had the second, third, and fourth best players in the series. And arguably yeah, you- the fifth. But it's unbelievable how important it is in the NBA to have the best player in the series. Like like Giannis for the Bucks against the Celtics or Kawhi Leonard for the Raptors against the Sixers. It, it, it's, it's unbelievable. It, it really is. When you, you look at that Philly starting five, and, and you could make the case that Redick, the fifth-best starter for Philly, is as good as the second-best starter, Siakam. Um, I mean, you mentioned Lowry also for Toronto. Basically, it's the Kawhi Leonard show, and the bench for Toronto – completely disappeared. Ibaka played some nice games. Um, they have a real During the regular season, Toronto had a good bench, and Fred Van Vliet averaged 11 points per game. He averaged two points per game in the um, seven-game series, and Van Vliet shot 15% from the field. So He was terrible. Nothing from the that bench. guy was terrible. Terrible. And, and I've always been a big fan of Van Vliet and, and talk about how he's undervalued in the marketplace. And he was just, just absolutely awful. Siakam comes down with a calf injury, but it doesn't matter because if you've got the best player, he can will his team to victory. Yeah, now I will say this. Ibaka was awesome in Game 7 when they needed him, so that was, that was big. And Kyle Lowry, I mean, how, how, how the Raptors got that many um, – you know, second shots. Sixers went three straight possessions without getting a shot off and having the shot clock violation. I, I, I mean, I've never seen anything like it. Anyway, um, let's move on. Your thoughts on what we should be looking to bet or what people should be looking at 
whether it's to win it all at this point or just within the series for uh, both NBA conference finals? Well, there's only four teams left. The markets are incredibly efficient, and I don't really see value right now anywhere. Golden State is a big favorite to beat Portland. They're minus 530, take back 430 on Portland. And I think that that's properly priced. I'm not certain if Durant's coming back game five or game six or at all in this series, but um, certainly I expect Golden State to win. And then Milwaukee does seem a little bit high. Milwaukee's minus 300 to beat Toronto. Toronto plus 250. Ross, Toronto's been a 2-1 to one underdog to win the East throughout really the entire year. Now they're in the East Finals, and they're a bigger underdog. They're plus 250. That's shocking to me. I'd lean a little to Toronto at that price, but Milwaukee's been playing awesome. They They really have been. I was surprised the way they took it to the Celtics. And then... Um, so you would lean Toronto and then in the, uh, in the Western conference, you're leaning golden state. Yes. I do think that Milwaukee probably is going to be a good bet against golden state because Milwaukee, they don't have the experience, but just in terms of performance, they're playing every bit as well as golden state is. And they'll certainly be an underdog against golden state and Milwaukee will have the home court advantage. Uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, is there, any, is there anything to bet uh, individual there, Steve, or anything to bet in terms of um, going, winning it all right now? Uh, I don't think so. I don't see any value. I, I would pass. Okay, I know what you're going to say. It's a major, which means fade Tiger Woods. PGA Championship. I, I know you like a book at this point. Major means fade Tiger, right? No, it used to be that way. Now we got to adjust. And I've been talking about this actually for a little while. The problem with fading Tiger is before he won the Masters, if you went back to the last two majors last year, Tiger didn't win, but he had the best composite eight-round score of any golfer in the world. So Tiger despite all the public betting irrationally on him, actually got his game back at the end of last year. And because of that, Tiger became um, worthy of being one of the favorites to um, go ahead and win the championship. Now, what's happened is that because he's Tiger Woods, he's become such a um, prohibitive um, choice for the public to bet on. There's no value betting on him. But currently, Tiger's 10-1 to 1 to, um, to win the next major. And he's the number one choice. And is he the best golfer in the world? No, but he's certainly t- playing like a top five golfer right now. So I would say that um, for now, we, we're going to stay pat and not bet on or against Tiger. I would love to see Tiger have another great tournament. And then I think we start betting against him as the year progresses. Not going to have time today, Steve, to get into an email question, but we will next week. So hopefully people keep them coming. And uh, that's it. Next week we'll get into some NFL stuff. There's, there's more divisional and Super Bowl odds that are out there now that we've got more information. Sounds good, Ross. And by the way, if you bet on the Saints to go to the Super Bowl and you bet on the Kentucky Derby winner that got disqualified, it might just not be your cup of tea to keep betting, right? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good way to describe it. Terrific stuff, as always, Steve. 
I am pumped up for the NBA Conference Finals, which kick off tonight. I always appreciate your Tiger Woods thoughts, and I like when we can answer an email question. Keep those coming, please. Ross at RossTucker.com. There is not a bad question, especially when it comes to the Even Money podcast, because if you're asking it, I'm sure I have it, and if I have it, a lot of other people do as well. No such thing as a dumb question. Keep them coming. Ross at RossTucker.com. Just let me know it's for Steve. It's for even money. And if you take advantage of one of our sponsors, I guarantee I ask Steve on the show. The sponsors are always over there, over at RossTucker.com on the sponsor tab. Very, very cool. Other than that, make sure you're checking out today's College Draft Podcast. Matt Waldman is a total stud. 1,100 pages, his rookie scouting portfolio, 1,100 pages. Are you kidding me? We'll have Andrew Brandt tomorrow on the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, and it's Dynasty Rankings time on the Fantasy Feast with Evan Silva tomorrow as well. Other than that, good luck, everybody. Hope you guys win some money. Thanks for listening to the Even Money Podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, the Fantasy Feast Podcast, and the College Draft Podcast, all available on iTunes at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts can be found.